faithful listener, welcome to another another episode of Soccer Not Football. We are back. We had a little bit of a hiatus. Our last episode was back uh, late March, and now it's mid-April. Time has flown by. A lot of games have occurred. A lot of exciting football has happened. The international break is over, and we're back to club football. We're back to the Champions League. And um, yesterday, we figured out who is going to make it to the semifinals. And we're going to start off with our first semifinalist, PSG, who got their revenge in the final from the final against Bayern and moved on with uh, a 4-4 victory on the way goals to, uh, to the semifinals. This is, um, I think this is going to be a, a massive victory for PSG. Um, and a great way for them to get revenge over um, a team that had bested them in the final who blocked their chance of winning the first ever Champions League. And the defending champions are out. And um, as always, I have my co-host, uh, Daniel, offering um, his thoughts on um, on the tie. Yeah, I think the, the quarterfinals usually give some of the best ma- matchups in the Champions League just because that's the part of the competition where the weaker teams are kind of weeded out and it's not quite at the, the semifinal or final level where teams maybe play more defensive, more, uh, you know, behind the ball soccer, just trying to, you know, get by the quarterfinals give us the matchups that both teams are going for it. And, and this PSG Bayern two legged affair was, was one of the best ties uh, that I can remember in recent memory. Um, both teams were definitely going for it. Uh, that first leg ended, I think, two to three. Bayern lost. Mm-hmm. Bayern two, PSG three. Um, Mbappe got a couple goals, um, showing his class, and he's still 19, 20 years old. He's uh, crazy. 22. He's twenty two now. He's the same age as us. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I just remember him being eighteen in the World Cup. I guess that was four years ago now. So uh, I guess time just flies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a monster. Um, I hate to say it, but. Neymar keeps coming up a little short in big moments. There was like three or four times in that second leg where, where he had a really good chance on goal and a player of his quality should definitely be finishing him off. There was one where he cut in from the wing and that was a tough one. He hit the post. There was two more where he was through one-on-one against Neuer and he just couldn't put the ball away. And luckily for, for them, for him, it didn't come to bite him in the butt, but a player of his quality, like he's doing so much out there on the field. He he showed how much PSG misses him when he's hurt and out of these Champions League games. But he's got to put one of those away. It would have killed the game off for Bayern. They wouldn't have had a chance to come back. And and Bayern can can leave with their held, heads held high, I think. Um, mm-hmm. They were missing some key players. They were definitely missing some of their depth. Um, late in the game, they were bringing on Javi Martinez, who's a center midfielder for – uh, their striker because they literally only had youth players or goalies in their, in their bench. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've been a machine for the last year and a half, but they just, they ran out of gas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with, with uh, Neymar's performance. He definitely um, was wasteful in, in that game. And that whole tie was Mbappe's tie, to be honest, as the way he dominated that Barcelona tie. Um, he was a difference maker. Without him, PSG wouldn't move on. 
And it's just crazy to see, you know, like we're seeing another legend in the in the making right now with Mbappe. And it's just wild that, you know, literally he's like the same age as us. And, you know, we're just talking about him. And he's, you know, like giving us the moments to talk about. Um, and, um, yeah, um, it was really nervy those last, uh, like, 20, um, 15 minutes with PSG. You know, they were – it looked like, you know, for them, they were just trying to hold on. And um, look, unluckily for Bayern, you know, uh, they can't do much with uh, Chupo Moting, um, even though he did get um, two goals in the tie. But he just felt like, oh, it was a step down from Lewandowski, who unfortunately couldn't make it. And one has to ask, like, would they had, you know, won with Lewandowski? I mean, you'll, you'll never know with that what-if question. Um, you would like to think, if you're a Bayern fan, that they would have gone through, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really help you because he wasn't there and – you would have hoped that your team had the quality to go through, but they just didn't quite have it. And I don't even know if I would say Bayern lost. I think more so PSG just just won it. They took their chances. Um, Bayern, we've been saying it a lot, have been leaking goals this year. They've leaked goals a bunch in the Bundesliga to, you know, some of the mid to low table teams are conceding two, three, sometimes four goals. And against a team like PSG with that attacking talent with, Di Maria, Mbappe, Neymar, um, those teams are going to uh, overtake you. You're not going to always be able to rely on coming back. Um, they almost did that in that first leg. They got down 2-0, came back 2-2, and I was like, all right, the Bayern train's coming. But then Mbappe found that third, and they just couldn't quite overtake it in that second leg. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Both the games were super entertaining. It was It was almost like a basketball game. Both teams were just going back and forth attacking 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 a, a really exciting game for us neutral fans yes definitely and credit to PSG for making the semis for the second year in a row uh, they definitely have their struggles trying to move on to that next stage and it looks like they might turn the corner um, they're gonna go all in in this for this uh, Champions League run um, and I feel like they'll definitely sacrifice a league one title if it means they get to have a chance at the final and then moving on for another team who made the semifinals for um, the first time under Pep Guardiola, uh, we have Man City who beat Dortmund uh, 4-2 overall in the tie. Um, it looked like they were going to be out for a little bit. Um, you had 17-year-old Jude Bellingham uh, from England um, score and had Dortmund lead on away goals. Um but then we had a penalty that um, that Mares converted, and then um, we had another um, amazing goal by Phil Foden, um, right, perfectly placed, um, and pretty much killed off the tie for uh, for Man City, and um, now Man City is at stage that. Under Pep, they never been before. You know, they have won, but they never, but they finally got over that that quarterfinals hump, and now it's determined to see whether they can, you know, go further or, you know, it, it, that stage is is too big for them. Yeah, they always would trip up over the quarterfinals these last three four years, just against a team that they should have beaten, but 
for whatever reason, they were leaking goals. They weren't able to score when they should have scored. And, and this time it looked like they were headed down that same path. It was, it was two, two. I texted some of my Manchester city friends and I was like, they can't bottle this again. Can they? And luckily for them, they, they were able to, to find a way. And as you said, Phil Foden was brilliant again, scored on both legs. Um, a lot of good young English talent on display in this tie um, with, with Bellingham, with Foden. Um, Sancho didn't play for, for Dortmund. They were lacking some of their, some of their better players. No Sancho. Uh, Gio Reyna getting a couple bench appearances. Um, Holland really didn't do too much for, for Dortmund in this, in this series. Um, I think that's because City game plan around that and basically said, anybody not named Erling Holland, come and beat us. And Jude Bellingham stepped up in that first leg too. He was wrongfully disallowed a goal. He should have had a goal in that first leg. And luck, luckily for him, he scored in that second leg. So he gets that Champions League knockout goal. Um, but Dortmund just didn't have enough. They didn't have the fight. They didn't have that that killer instinct to to take out Manchester City. They they had him. They had him on the ropes, but. They just sat, they sat back and they said, come break us down, Man City. And Man City was like, okay, we'll do that. That's what we do to every team. So I think they needed to be a little more aggressive, but they also needed some more of their talent out there. And, and that's what they were lacking. Yeah, it feels like it's just been that kind of season for Dortmund. Um, behind the um, Champions League spots in the Bundesliga, this may have been their best chance to, you know, stay for next season. And now it's gone. And... Um, it really brings like a lot of question marks um, for next season. You know, they can keep any of that talent, you know, they can, can keep uh, Bellingham, they can keep uh, Reyna, uh, Sancho, uh, Holland. I feel that Holland and Sancho are on their way out at this point. I feel like Sancho is one foot out the door and, and Holland's up in the air just because he has like a – he has a release clause in his contract. So next year teams can get him for, for a lot cheaper if they were to sell him this year, but also, you know, it's not always about the money. You know, if you keep Erling Holland for next season, your team's going to be better. So it, it's just what the club values. Do they value an extra $60, 70 million or an extra season of Erling Holland scoring 40 goals for you? Mm-hmm. Honestly, with the way that, he has scored for against every team he had played against in the Champions League, except Man City. Um, he already has ten goals in his in his pocket. Honestly, why wait another season? You know, I feel like you should pull the trigger. I mean, you already have the finished product on on display, uh, in my opinion. So what? So what does another season have to do for you except you know a couple million? I mean, it's not like financial fair play exists. So yeah, um, but you know, we'll, that just will be a question for for the summer. Moving on to our to our next tie, we'll look at Real Madrid three, Liverpool one. Um, that first leg was three one Real Madrid. Second leg was nil nil. Um, and. Real came out in that first leg and were were the dominant team. Um, Liverpool struggles were were still kind of there. Um, we've seen Trent Alexander Arnold have a very up and down season. The the game before the first leg, he scored a nice game winner, and then he comes in and and has the ball back to to Marcus Asensio, who's a, a Liverpool winger, and gives away a, a cheap goal. 
And Sala was able to get one back and you're thinking, okay, it's two, one, you know, we'll go back to Anfield and, and get them there. And they can see, they just switch off and concede a goal. There's the, there's the video of Wijnaldum and he's just standing there literally in place for 10 to 15 seconds. Didn't move at all. It's like his controller turned off and he forgot how to move. And that's just the, the kind of stuff that, that has been killing Liverpool this year. They haven't been as energized. They haven't been as after it. And that's kind of understandable after they've won, they won Champions League two years ago. They won the league last year. So a little bit of that fight and that desire is, is going to go, but it's it's just been a, a steady decline from from Liverpool. They were one of the best teams in Europe that's last year, and this year they're they're still a very good team, but they're on the outside in for for Champions League in the in the league, and they got outplayed by a Madrid team who was missing a bunch of players. Exactly. Credit to Liverpool for having the best unsuccessful comeback attempt ever. That second leg was just was really sad. Um, you had four of your attacking forwards, you know, Firmino, Salah, Mane, Jota, Jota, and you couldn't get one shot. You couldn't get you couldn't put one goal back. And I just feel like you know, for Liverpool, they're they're kind of over this season. You know, it's been a really really rough season with them with the injuries and the inconsistent play. Mind you, this was a team that was up. Um, that was leading the league by Christmas. And now they're on the outside looking in on the top four. Um, and it's just really shocking to see, like, oh, the decline just had happened, you know, so so fast. You know, this was, you know, we were thinking about, like, oh, this is going to be, like, a potential dynasty. But now, you know, players are looking to leave. Players are disinterested. Klopp, um, you know, asking questions of the club and um, Liverpool have a lot of questions to answer, you know, um, as the season uh, progresses, you know, as season ends and going into the summer as well. And uh, credit to Real, you know, you had that uh, sedan factor and, you know, the man um, knows how to manage a tie and um, he has that Champions League pedigree and that definitely came in handy. Um, with all the absences in this Madrid team. Yeah, even though they're missing Ronaldo, or not Ronaldo, even though they're <laughs> missing Hazard, they're missing their starting wing backs, they're missing a couple starting wingers. They still got Cruz, got Madrid, and they still got Casemiro. And that midfield trio won them three Champions Leagues in a row. And they're still working as a great engine in the middle of the field. And as long as Real has those three guys out there, they're going to be competitive in any game they play in and they still got Kareem Benzema up front. Who's one of the most underrated strikers of the last decade. Um, and yeah, they're missing Ramos too. I don't know if I said that, but Real, even though they look down and out, they're not. Um, and I know they're going to be playing one of your favorite teams in the next round. And they Chelsea might be hyped up a little bit, but I, I don't think they can take them lightly. Oh, no, I am worried about this tie uh, against uh, Chelsea and uh, Real. Oh, and good news, Chelsea had moved past their uh, tie against Porto. They won 2-1. They uh, won two goals uh, in the first leg, two crucial away goals. Um, 
that first leg was kind of rough um, and had two moments of just individual quality from Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell. And then um, the second leg was more just like game management, couldn't find that goal to ice it, but um, still we're in control until the last minute with a nice overhead kick. But um, didn't matter anyway. Um, the Chelsea still moved on. Um, it's going to be a very interesting tie, um, especially with um, Hazard and Quartar possibly returning um, to previous Chelsea players, two with very different opinions from the Chelsea um, fan base. One is adored by the fan base, uh, Hazard, and one um, kind of has a negative opinion uh, from the Chelsea fan base uh, based on the way that he left uh, for Real. And then we also have uh, some beef between uh, Drew and Benzema. Um, Benzema criticized uh, Drew um, playing for the French team over him, um, equally into like, oh, you know, why play a go-kart when you can ride a Ferrari or something like that? And it's going to be um, – so definitely will be no love lost there um between the two so it's going to be a very exciting tie it's going to be a tough tie for Chelsea not going to lie um this is a team that's still figuring out you know still hasn't found that attacking um attacking drive um on the way there um but they need to pick it up quick um because like I said um you still have a intense Champions League pedigree with Sedan and Modric and uh, Ramos and the rest of the holdovers from that era. So, um, yeah, um, it's going to be exciting to see as well. Exciting to see PSG and Man City um, and see who moves on. Uh, I think my pick for the final is going to be PSG and Chelsea. Um. I'm going to have to disagree with you and I'm going to go with the opposite. I'm going to go Real Man City. I think those are those are my two picks. I think I think Chelsea they're solid defensively. They proved that against Porto. They basically went the entire two ties without giving up a goal. Um and to to be fair, I missed that goal that uh Taremi scored for Porto cuz I was th- so enthralled with the PSG Bayern game going on at the same time. I was like, okay, this this other game's over. They're up 2-0 in the 90th minute. They're not going to blow it. And I looked over and I just see this man just kicking his foot over his head, scoring a nice goal. Um, but I just think Chelsea don't quite have that attacking uh, bite to them. They don't have that clinicalness. Uh, in that second leg, Pulisic was fouled 11 times by Porto, which is amazing. That's incredibly odd. That doesn't happen ever it hasn't happened in like 10 years and the last person that happened to was Lionel Messi um so that's some good company to be with but being fouled is a good sign that the opponents are afraid of you but you still have to be able to to put the ball in the back of the net or at least get a lot of opportunities to put your team in a good position to put the ball in the back of the net and Chelsea weren't really doing that yeah they were controlling the middle of the field yeah they were up to nothing so maybe that was their game plan was just to kind of run the game out, but they didn't have, they don't have that. Maybe Mason mounts the rest attacking threat at this point, just to be able to take the ball and, and score. Um, Cause Havertz isn't quite doing it yet. He's been g- gaining better form. Definitely. 
but he's not quite there for them. And then Werner and GX are guys you can't really count on. And Pulisic's been in better form of late, but he's also a guy who who's kind of up and down. So we'll see if he can step up in a big moment against Real Madrid. That'd be awesome if he has a coming out party against Real Madrid, scores a goal or assists a goal. That would be a dream come true for USMNT fans. Yes. And then um, I just wish that Courtois has a, a big disaster class against. I hope he just fumbles the ball in there or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and then against uh, PSG and, um, and, and City, um, you got two great attacking teams. And then, um, you know, with uh, two um, great coaches, uh, Pochettino and um, a Pep. And, you know, maybe, and we don't forget, you know, that moment when um, Tottenham and uh, Man City had that crazy tie and Pochino got the better of him. So um, it's going to be an interesting tie to see, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, the semifinals are almost always just as good as the quarterfinals. Maybe not always because there's two less games. So if one game is a stinker, it kind of ruins it, but... The, the semifinals are, are the ties to definitely watch. Yeah. And then speaking of semifinals, we figured out who's going to make the semifinals of the Europa League, a.k.a. Champions League light. We have uh, Man United versus Roma, and then we have Arsenal versus Villarreal. Um, interesting tidbit about Arsenal and Villarreal. We mentioned before that uh, Arsenal's former manager, Unai Emery, um, is – coaching Villarreal as well. And he has dominated uh, the Europa League. He won three with uh, Sevilla, and now he's back there again, and he has a chance of revenge over the team that uh, fired him for Mikel Arteta. I think this is Arteta's best way to, to maintain the Arsenal job. Not that he's under super pressure, but if he can, if he can win the Europa League and get them back in the Champions League, that'll be definitely a year ahead of schedule. Um, definitely at the start of this year, the Arsenal fans, Arsenal board, were not really expecting to, to get into Europe, especially not the Champions League. So if he can find a way to to win these next three games or at least come out on top after these next three games, then I think he definitely buys some more time at Arsenal and buys some more respect and, and credence with the fans. Because there's been a lot of people who are like, what is this guy doing? Like, he doesn't know anything and if you look at what they're saying they're kind of right arsenal for the first half of the season didn't do anything they were hot literally the worst what was that i was saying hot dog water oh absolutely they were trash they literally could not produce chances and if you can't produce chances you can't score goals so they they have turned some things around they've gotten a couple new players in there um odegaard's definitely helped the team out giving them some more creative attacking intent but Villarreal are, are not e- an easy team um, Brendan Aronson and Salzburg got a taste of that in the round of 32 and uh, there was an interview with him and he said Villarreal's tactical ability just their, the way they position themselves around the field is, is next level uh, especially compared to coming to from MLS like he was that he was not prepared for it at all he would he would try to touch the ball and next thing he knew it was 15 yards away and he was like what what the heck's going on so you definitely can't count out emery even though the arsenal fans give him a bad rap 
you, he's still a good manager. He's done it with multiple teams and I really hate to say it, but I think we're going to have an all English final here. I think uh, United's going to, going to beat Roma. They're just kind of, they never, they don't win against the big teams in Italy. So I don't see why they'll win against a big team from England. And I think Arsenal are, are going to put all their chips in this Europa league basket. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, and it might be all you respond to, you know, it might, it was going to be a great chance for Ole to break his semifinal curse. He's never made it past the semifinal stage. And, um, you know, I don't think United fans would tolerate another season of, of, of progress, you know, um, you want to see, you know, it's been a while since they won some trophies and, um, and then they, you know, that's what they're going to be evaluating on your job. And it will definitely give Ole some, some goodwill if he uh, gets a Europe, he if he wins the Europa League, uh, if he ends the season with a, uh, with a trophy. So I think they'll go all in on this one. And um yeah, I think it's going to be uh, United and uh, Arsenal for the Europa League final. I mean, the United doesn't really have anything to play for in the league right now. They're not going to catch Man City, and they're not going to fall out of top four. So you might as well, you know, if you have to rest some guys during the weekend games to to be ready for the weekday games, I would definitely think about doing that. You know, Give Fernandez a rest against – Southampton or Austin Villa, whoever the heck you're playing and, and play them against Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So spe- uh, speaking of the league games, we have um, only a month to go before the end of the season. And um, we, and more things change, the more things stay the same. Um, Going into La Liga, we have Atletico Madrid just barely, barely, barely hanging on by a thread. You know, throwing away their their considerable cushion. Um, they were up as many as seven to ten points at one point, and now they are only one point behind Real and Barcelona, who are high on their tail. And um, Real is the one with the momentum at the moment, be just being Barcelona in El Clasico. And um, I think Daniel, you have some more context with that against uh, with our with our guy Sugino Dest, who didn't have the best didn't have the best game. Yeah, that, that a classical game was was a fun one to watch. Um, there were there was a lot of it. There was drama. There was bad weather. There was some nice goals. Um, there was drama at the end of the game where where Moreira hit the bar. Uh, they had the goalie come up to Stegen and. He whiffed on a on a volley and it fell to his teammate, and he was able to hit the bar. Um, but yeah, Dest didn't cover himself in glory in this game. Uh, the second goal for Real Madrid was a free kick by Tony Kroos, and he kicked it right at Dest, and Dest decided to turn his back to the play, and it ricocheted off his back into the goal. wasn't considered an own goal because uh, the shot was going on target, but it it wasn't the his prettiest moment and he didn't really do too much else in the game. Uh, tactically real kind of put him out of the game. They, they set up in a way that they limited his effectiveness going up and down the flanks. And that's why he was taken off at halftime for uh, Anton Griezmann. And it, and it wasn't because he had a terrible, terrible game. It was more because 
Barcelona were down two nil and they needed to change something and they weren't really going to take off Jordi Alba because he's been one of their better players this year. They weren't going to take off two of their center backs because they need some center backs out there. So they, they took off desk cause he was kind of the odd man out. And that's, that's something you got to expect from him. He's, he's still a young player and he's not the best defender in the world. So, you know, he's going to have up and down games and, you know, to say you had a bad game against Real Madrid isn't really a knock on your on your playing career. So he'll he'll definitely bounce back from this. He had a good game against Real Madrid in the reverse fixture earlier this year. He uh, was one of his better games where he was able to kind of shut down Vinicius Jr. and and this time he just wasn't able to do that. So um, definitely not an indictment on Des, but he didn't continue his good run of form as of late. Then going over to the Premier League, we have a top four, intense top four battle against Leicester, West Ham, Chelsea, and Liverpool. And uh, we actually have a uh, game uh, between Tottenham and Everton tomorrow uh, that will honestly make or break their top four hopes as well. Uh, but going back to of uh, the um, to Chelsea, and um, they had the opportunity to control their destiny at the at this point. Um, they have a game against West Ham. They got games against Man City. It's going to be a tough um, challenge for them. And it's going to be um, tough for um, – it will be a challenge for Pulisic to help uh, maintain that nice run that he has since he's, um, since he's returned to the um, – returned for a national team. Yeah, he scored a goal last weekend against West Brom, and then he came out at halftime because he had – he felt some tightness in his hamstrings and all the U S men's Twitter was like, Oh my God, here we go again. He's hurt. He's hurt. Um, and then he came on as a sub appearance midweek against Porto in that first leg and then started at the weekend and, and scored two goals against crystal palace. He seems to like to play against crystal palace and yeah, Pulisic definitely showed why he's, he's class. Um, he's maybe not the, the top, top end winger that some of the U S fans like, to think he is but he's definitely a really good player he's more than just all pace he's more than just you know he can do a lot of different things with the ball at his feet he can distribute he can dribble around you and and it's good to see that he can put that on display it's good to see that he played three games in in 10 days you know he had that scare with the injury and that's almost always his biggest question mark is can he stay fit can he stay healthy that's something we were going to look at towards the rest of the season um and to be perfectly honest, I kind of wanted him to come out earlier in that Porto second leg. I just wanted him to, to save his legs. You know, he was getting fouled a bunch. I didn't want him to get hurt. Uh, luckily, he wasn't hurt, or at least as of recording, I don't know that he's hurt. So um, he'll definitely be a strong player for them down the season. will be interesting to see if any of the other Premier League teams will, will leapfrog Chelsea. Um, West Ham. Jesse Lingard continues to be a hot stud for them. I don't know where he's come from, but he came over from United on a loan and most people kind of shrugged it off. I think I might've shrugged it off. We might've shrugged it off on this podcast, just being like, Oh yeah, Lingard, the next Messi uh, going to West Ham, but he's been, he's been dynamite for them. Definitely revelation for them. And yeah, bringing West Ham to the top four, you know, West Ham, Champions League finalists. Um, that could be an actual sentence that we might say at the end of the season. Uh, who knows? And 
you know, Liverpool barely hanging on. Um, Leicester fading fast uh, from their cushion, uh, from their third place cushion. And uh, yeah, I think the best part of uh, Pulisic's recent resurgence is that, you know, Tuchel trusts him now. And like he's giving him more minutes. He's like um, giving him more time. He's making him a, an important um, part of getting him consistent playing time. Um, and I think like his uh, his trust in Pulisic was was always there. You know, it just needed some time for him to you know assert himself and like prove to him. You know, um, can he shake out the injuries? Can he shake off this this rust that he was having? You know, and I think some of that criticism was gained to to him as well. Um, just you know, all the when he was having his rough patches, you know, the Chelsea fan base can be a little little um, rough at times. And um, now, you know, um, he's definitely put in a great position um, to have a successful end of the season um, with with Chelsea. And then going into Serie A, um, Inter closing on the title. Um, we have, and we also have Bayern also um, closing on the title. They did uh, tie. So there still might be a little chance for um, Tyler Adams and Lesbic to make a uh, comeback, but unlikely. And then we also have um, 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 Brian Reynolds at Roma, um, pl- still playing Roma, and then Chris Richards at Hoffenheim. And then also we got Tim Weah and uh, Leo being PSG um, and – uh, holding on to their lead in uh, League One. They got six games left. Can they clinch these six games, hold off PSG, and win the title? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start in France for now. Um, Tim Weah played a big part in that in that PSG or that Leo win over PSG. Unfortunately, uh, Jonathan David, Canadian Jonathan David, picked up uh, an injury in that game. He had to tore some ligaments in his ankles probably going to be out for the rest of the season. So while it's bad for him, that's, that's good for Tim Weah Cause that opens up a spot for, if not him, one of his, one of his teammates to come in, one of his bench mates to come in. So he'll, he'll get more playing time. Um, Weah is maybe not a consistent starter for Leo, but he's definitely a consistent contributor. If he's not the first man off the bench, he's the second man. And he had some good moments in that PSG game. He set up, uh, I think Jonathan Kone, uh, with a really good through ball, wasn't able to finish it off, wasn't able to get an assist, but just kind of just kind of shows that that way I can do a lot with a little. Um, and yeah, everyone thought that PSG were just going to be able to to win that game and and take the lead and and go on to the title. But Leo had some other ideas. Um, they've been the best defensive team in France this year, and they continue to be that. Continue to win games two nothing, one nothing. Now, maybe not the the prettiest of games, but they, they have a lot of quality on the team. If you look at that roster, they got a lot of solid players, maybe no superstars, maybe no stars, but it takes a team to win games, and they're they're a pretty good team this year. Um, I'm glad we'll be able to see them in Champions League next year. They've I don't know if they've clinched a Champions League spot, but they, they dang near have, um, and it's just a good sign that, that more Americans will p- be playing in UEFA competitions next year. Yeah. And then um and then that's all from us for um uh from Europe. And now just going 
a little bit international. Um, we actually had some um, women's games um, over this past week. We had the women's team, uh, the U.S. women's team, um, play against two very um, competitive uh, teams as well, France and uh, Sweden. Um, France, yeah, I believe, is third in the world, and Sweden is fifth in the world. I might have switched those up, but there's still two top five teams that the U.S. were playing against in uh, preparation for um, the Olympics because, you know, they might meet up with these teams again uh, come Olympic time. And um, they had some solid games, solid, uh, had some solid results, I I would say. Um, do you want to take the Sweden game, Daniel? Yeah, the Sweden game finished 1-1, um, played in Sweden. Um, I saw a stat on the broadcast. I couldn't believe it, but they've played Sweden in every major competition that they've competed in. So every World Cup and every Olympics, the U.S. and Sweden have met, which kind of doesn't make sense to me, but that's just kind of shows that we know the U.S. is good, but Sweden's also very good. That's the team that, that knocked them out the last Olympics. So there's definitely a little bit of, you know, nastiness between the two teams the u.s usually gets the better of sweden but sweden can fight back they got some they got some players on their team and they they were in control for most of this game they scored on a on a corner kick at the end of the first half sweden did up one nothing for for most of the game the u.s kind of looked a little stagnant on offense they weren't really creating too much they they were riding a 37 game winning streak going into this game um, at the end of these two games, they were it was 39, but the U.S. were fortunate to get a late penalty that maybe or maybe was not a penalty. Um, if VAR was used, I think it would have probably been given away and made a free kick. But there, there was a foul at the edge of the box, and there was some some controversy that that it was outside the box. Um, to me personally, I think the foul started to occur inside the box, and then like the major contact happened outside the box. So I was, I was okay with it, but I could see why, why VAR would uh, overturn that. Uh, Rapino stepped up and, and banged a penalty into the, into the side corner um, as she usually does. She's so good on, on penalties. It's, it's almost automatic with her. Um, the, the U S has so much talent. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah. That was my, that was my take on the Sweden game. Yeah, and then um, for the France game, um, it was more of the U.S. that U.S. Uh, team that you know we we're accustomed to. You know, um, two quick goals. We had a penalty by Rapino, and then we had a goal by Alex Morgan in the opening twenty minutes, and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, France was hidden deep. You know, it was kind of like they were so deep that. Um, it looked like the U.S. were the ones who were down, you know, two goals. And it was just pretty much, you know, uh, cruise control for them for um, for most of the second half and just showed, you know, um, just their quality um, just was on display um, for that. I felt like that was a vintage uh, U.S. women's team display. And um, it's just so – crazy the durability of of these players you know um i remember watching um the 2011 world cup and still seeing you know uh the same players uh from before you know morgan um rapino 
um, Lloyd and, you know, they're still playing at such an elite level. It's just insane. Yeah. Carly Lloyd picked up her, her 300th cap for the, for the U S women's national team, which is an amazing stat. She's the, the third player ever to do that. And just, just to think 300 games for your national team, that's, that's a ton. That's, you got to be a stalwart for at least over a decade. And she's been, she was the best player in 2015 and she's been instrumental on two other uh, woke up teams. So she's been a beast for a long time and she was definitely praised for her, for her game that day. So she definitely earned her plaudits. Mm-hmm. All right. And now, yeah, they're going to be in the Olympics, going to be playing against Australia, Brazil, Canada, Chile, China, uh, Great Britain, Japan, the Netherlands, uh, Zambia, New Zealand, and you guessed it, Sweden. And, you know, as we say always, this is going to be the U.S. Um, to lose because, you know, they haven't shown us otherwise. They're like the Patriots of women's soccer at this point. And yep, everyone hates them except for for Patriots fans. Everyone hates them <laughs> except for for American fans. Mm-hmm. All I gotta say, you know, they're the ones making the money. You gotta pay them. Just pay them. It's not that hard. Exactly. They're not asking for more. They're asking for equal. They're asking for what they should be paid. Mm-hmm. So. I'll be mad if the U.S. amends, you know, they got paid way more for not even making the the damn Olympics. Or a World Cup. Or a World Cup. <laughs> exactly. Oh, wait, that, that happened. Um, but, you know, moving on. Um, we also, moving on to more stuff stateside, we have the MLS uh, returning um, this Weekend, we have two games to kick off the season. We got the Houston Dynamo and our hometown San Jose Earthquakes, as well as the Seattle Sanders, who uh, took um, who took the L against uh, against Columbus. Was it Columbus? Yeah. Um, to um, in the MLS Cup against Minnesota United, and. Um, this is something I'm still um, learning a little bit about, but uh, I'm going to, you know, update you all more and more and um, provide more more context about the, the contenders, the pretenders, and um, all the ins and outs of this MLS season. Um, Daniel, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I got a, I got a challenge for, for all the listeners out there. Uh, I'm just trying to get people more engaged with MLS think the the best way is to to be there live or to be there actually seeing the games but that's kind of hard right now with covid you know not everyone wants to go out to to a sporting event and that's understandable so i'm just trying to get my friends or just acquaintances anybody really to to watch some more soccer because soccer is a, a beautiful thing and i think it, it brings a lot of happiness into my life it brings a lot of happiness in your life and i think everyone could use that right now so i'm just challenging everyone to to watch five soccer games this year, five MLS games. Um, I've been having people DM me on Twitter. They pick a number between one and 27. That's how many MLS teams there are. I have a spreadsheet of teams in random order and I give them their team. So if they say 16. I look at my spreadsheet and I say, this is your team you're going to watch for this year. Um, and, and, you know, some people, 
they have a team they already kind of want to watch. They already have their favorite team, and I and I let that slide. Um, but yeah, just to just to try to watch, you know, five games. That's not a lot of games. They play 32, 34 games in the season, so that's that's basically like one game a month. You could spend like an hour and a half watching a soccer game a month. I think that's that's doable for most people. Um, and just to learn a couple of the players on each teams or, or the team that you're watching, learn two players. And yeah, if you want to do that challenge, just, just DM me on Twitter. I have some, I have some rules and stipulations about it. Like if you fail to watch your five games, you gotta, you gotta send me some penalty money. Um, that money's not going to my, into my pocket though. I'll be, I'll be donating it to a good charity soccer without borders. Um, they do a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, bringing the game to, to communities that need it. That's the, that's the best way to, to spread the game is to have, have kids playing it who don't necessarily have the access to it. So yeah, if you're, if you're interested in MLS or you're not interested in MLS, I, I recommend it. It's maybe not the, the most technical soccer, maybe not the best players out there, but it's definitely got a lot of drama, um, a lot of, a lot of goals, which is always nice. And it's just a fun time. You know, I think MLS is great and, it's only continuing to grow. And before you know it, it's going to be one of the better leagues in the world. So, so get on now while you can. Uh, jump on that bandwagon. Okay. No, and no one can say that you can bandwagon because, you know, we're on our way up. And um, yeah, I just wanted to thank Daniel for, for doing this. Um, really appreciate it. And it's for a great cause. I worked with soccer about borders. Um, in the past year, and uh, I'm currently volunteering with them now. They have branches in California, in Oakland, um, in Boston, which I am currently living at now, and um, in Baltimore, and just a whole bunch of cities, even internationally. And they do a lot of really good work over there. And um, yeah, and any efforts to help in- increase the increase the game in this country, um, I'm all for it. So, um, yeah, please hit up Daniel. Um, we'll put on our, our hit up me as well, um, because I will also conduct this um, as well. My tags are DJ Akolatse, DJ A-C-O-L-A-T-S-E. Uh, hit me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and uh, I'll send y'all the information. And then um, what was your tag again? You can just hit us at the the soccer not football tag and, on yeah, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Could, that's where I post all the episodes. Um, just just send me a DM there, or you can find my my personal Twitter. I I always quote tweet the the latest episodes, so you can find me on there. Um, if you're afraid of being a bandwagon fan for the next couple of years, MLS is going to have new teams in the league. So like this, for example, this season Austin FC they're playing their first ever game on Saturday. So. If you want to be there for the start of a team, you can be a fan of Austin FC. If you want to wait till next year, there's going to be Charlotte in the league. So, you know, you got a, a rare opportunity in soccer. Most teams are, are 70, 100, 120 years old. But the MLS turned 26 this year. So we've only had a professional league for, for 26 years. And uh, the, the soccer programs in this country have grown exponentially over that time. And they're, they're only going to continue to get better. Um, that I saw a stat today. I'm going to nerd out here, but the at CONCACAF Champions League, basically the, the same as UEFA Champions League, except it's with the CONCACAF teams. 
Um, from 2008 to 2017, MLS teams only beat two Mexican teams, Liga Mekis teams. And in the last three years, they've beaten them seven times from 2018 to 2021. So, you know, that's not everything, but we're definitely getting closer to Mexico um, and the, the Mexican Domestic League, which is, is thought to be the best league in North America. So that gap is slowly closing. And, and hopefully one day we'll, we'll be neck and neck with Mexico. Yeah, and also we do have a uh, Champions League here um, in North America. It's the CONCACAF Champions League. And what Daniel was saying, you know, we play against the Mexican teams as well. And um, I don't think an MLS team has ever won the, the CONCACAF Champions League. So maybe this year might be the year. Um, but you won't know if you don't follow a team. So go and follow a team right now. And, um, yeah, with that, uh, thank you so much uh, for another episode of Soccer Not Football. This is Stella signing off as always. And, um, yeah, take care, everyone. This is Daniel. Make sure you watch some MLS.